Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person a child. Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask. This morning, I'm pleased to have in on special guest Justin Hempstead. Thank you, King, for being with us on this morning's edition of Conversation with Smart People, as we always do this series every third Friday. In particular, I call this one Conversation with Smart People about money. And, Justin, you are absolutely one of the best people that I know that I could talk about this subject. So thank you, King, for being with us. If you will, say hello to all the truth seekers. Again, you are, as a matter of fact, let me mention that you are a returning guest, so thank you for that as well. But go ahead, King. Thanks again for being with us. All right, definitely. Good Good morning. I'm, gl- I'm glad to be here, be able to share this knowledge with everyone, you know? No, nah, absolutely. If you will, Justin, give people a little bit of your background. You know, when I say you're one of the best people to talk about money, uh, you know, I don't want them just to assume that. So if you will, uh, just give them a little bit of your background. And really, specifically, you do a lot of things, but specifically um, in this area of finances, uh, which, again, I think you, and again, I've seen you at work firsthand, which you are excellent at. But if you will, give people some of that background. Okay. Um, well, uh by trade, I, I'm an accountant. I specialize in, in tax, um, tax law, tax accounting, you know, helping companies maintain a, more of their wealth versus just giving it out because of the tax law. But from the financial literacy standpoint, I'm, a, um, I'm an instructor. I have, I have a nonprofit called Flight Academy. If um, it stands for financially leading youth to entrepreneurship, if you want to check out our website, we're at um, flyte.com. Um, I've been doing this for probably about a little more than 10 years. 
where I was exposed. I had the opportunity to be exposed as a as a young person. Um, my parents did a great job of exposing me to the world of finance, um, what it means to have have investments while while you're maintaining while you're trying to build wealth. And so I teach I teach young people that not just about investing in the stock market, um, but how do you invest in real estate? How do you invest in businesses? How do you start a business to where you're actually? And I have the, I have this um, term that that I coined from um, one of my one of my teachers, Robert Kiyosaki, where you can make money while you're sleeping. A lot of people don't understand that. They look at it as you're being lazy. But no, making money while you're sleeping means your investment is working for you. You're not working for money, but your money is working for you. And that's what I like to relay over to people so that we're not we're not in this in what they call the rat race and having to work in two and three jobs just to pay our bills and keep keep a roof over our head, you know? So I got so I got that wrong then, huh, Justin? <laughs> I thought that was you supposed to do, man. I thought that was you supposed to do. No, that's what we've been taught and programmed that that's what we're supposed to do. But when you have investments and they're working for you, you no longer have to work those two and three jobs just to try and keep your bills going, you know? Nah, absolutely. Uh, you know, let me even just shout this out again. Again, I've seen you at work. Um, I've definitely brought you in at one time for to the mental dialogue community, where you know we spent some time trying to, you know, let other people understand the things that you're talking about when we're doing the smart money one-on-one classes. And I applaud you again with the Flight Academy because um, that's kind of I know for you that's your passion is making sure, as you said on this show getting people, getting young people who are probably more, probably easier to teach than us adults who, like you say, have been programmed to do it the wrong way. Um, so um, you you really specialize in touching the youth and literally um, have real-life examples of young people with actual businesses uh, based on your teaching or at least with their own investments based on your teachings. And so, you know, that that's just something I want to highlight. Again, not just mention it, but, again, you have a, a very direct passion. And so I will say, you know, my goal for this show this morning, again, we've had you on before. Uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to have the Mental Dialogue live experience last night here in Atlanta, which you've been to as well. And last night's conversation was a conversation about money. And I brought in a bunch of other financial experts that I've been able to meet, some through you, um, you know, some through Harvey Macklin, as, you know, as obviously you and him are good friends. And so, you know, basically bringing our people, vetted people, because the reality is, Justin, for uh, as much as we would like to learn more about finances, you know, even in our hard-headedness, if you will, as adults, uh, be, you know, there's a trust issue, right? Uh, and, and, and that trust yeah. issue, unfortunately, applies somewhat even more to our community based on sometimes other factors, and it plays a role in, in a sense, who can we trust? So, again, I've been fortunate enough to meet people that are vetted, which I think helps people move in the right direction, you know, get connected to even people like yourself. Uh, with that said, uh, I think you're about to jump in, which is fine, is, you know, can you know, talk about that as it a, as it is it a strict as it applies to the African American community specifically, you know, again, this is your passion. 
but you know, what have you seen in reference to that trust issue with learning this kind of information? Well, for for one, we we tend to not trust, as as you said, only because we we've seen so many people get burned. We we see people with a lot of a lot of scams out here. Um, you see it through direct marketing and people just trying to grab a dollar, and so it messes with the trust factor of of what we're trying to do, but. When you when you really put all that aside, you you start looking at the, the the broader picture. What is it that the person is trying to relay over to me? Are they trying to show me step by step what needs to be done, or are they trying to get me to buy into something? You know that buying into something, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna wave that's gonna wave a lot of people's trust and. You know, I, I've seen that a lot. I've been burned myself. But you know, when you when you come into a uh, a setting where someone is teaching you, and then you can go out and take the steps that they've taught you, and and start your your own business versus coming into buy buying something and oh, if you pay this amount, then you get this type of um, experience. You know. Then mm-hmm. you'll know how how to move forward. And see, that's what I do. I I want to teach you. I don't want to sell you anything. I'm just trying to teach you how do you go out here and make make it make it the legacy for yourself. You know. No, that's and that's a perfect segue. We're going to go to our initial break. When we come back, we're going to get hot and heavy, as I always say, into the very thing that you're talking about is, in a sense, for anybody out there listening, how to leave that legacy. And as you mentioned, you had a head start. So I think that's kind of where I want to start, um, just, you know, even for yourself, kind of getting to the position that you had you know, got to, and we'll open up the phone lines for people that may have questions. Again, if you're just now tuning in, I have special guest this morning for this morning's conversation with smart people, uh, Justin Hempstead, um, certified public accounting amongst many other things. So you're getting, you know, not only the um, sincere information, but as I call it, correct information from a legal standpoint as well. So listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, we'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I'm sorry, I haven't jumped over my own name this morning, uh, Black Socrates. This morning's conversation with smart people, 
special guest initial hours, Justin Hempstead, for anybody out there looking for uh, Brother Michael Sutler. We'll be bringing him on a little later in this morning's hour. Again, I wanted to have an amazing conversation with brilliant minds in reference to this morning's specific topic, conversation about money, which we just had last night at the Mental Dialogue Live, live Experience. Uh, got amazing feedback uh, you know, from that event, and again, you've been a part of that event. But as before said before the break, Justin, you feel like your parents kind of set you up with a head start. And I'll say this, you know, while we have you again, you know, but let me know, you know, at any moment that you, you know, you may have to go. So thank you for your time. Let me just kind of mention that, you know, you mentioned to me, um, you know, having some other obligations. So I want to be respectful of that. But where I want to start mm-hmm. is that head start. Um, and I'll say this, and you know, kind of let you get into it, because uh, the goal with even this show. For anybody out there listening, again, as adults, you know, we're getting good information. Ultimately, what I've always said is if you're getting this information, it's imperative that you pass this on to your children. So if you get good information um, this morning, maybe you can give people a head start like Justin, uh, in a sense, had. So if you can kind of speak to what you consider that head start that kind of led to you, you know, to the way you're at now and what I understand, planning to retire, hopefully at a very young age when I understand. But go ahead, King. Yeah. Well, going going back to, to my background, you know, my parents, they they did a great job of giving me a head start. My dad, he was he went to a conference. This was back in 1999, I believe. He went to a conference and he – he came back with some information. He said, man, I've been exposed to one of the greatest guys in, uh, in the world of finance. And it was Robert Kiyosaki. He had written this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So they, my dad, he got me the book. He had a version for, for young people as well. It was called Rich Kid, Smart Kid. So my dad got me that book, and I started reading it, and it was talking about the, different, the way you can invest as a young person. And so I created me a little business. Uh, it was during the summer. I was I was cutting yards. I was how old were you, too? If I can kind of mention this, if you're just kind of throwing it out real quick. How old were you doing this 12 years old at the time. Wow. Okay, go ahead, King. Yeah. I was 12 and I turn, about to turn 13. And so my brother and I, we my brother, he's he's younger than I am. So we created a little business where – we were cutting yards during the summer and we'd had, we were making, we were pulling in like $20 a yard. And and so running a business is more than just collecting money. You had to learn how to, how to budget. So that was, that's one of the things I taught the parents about sit down and let your kids see your budget that you have on a monthly basis. If you don't have a budget, create one and your budget is more so, just an, a, a plan, a, a blueprint of everything that you have that comes in, whether you're working two or three jobs, whether you're working one job. Whether, Let the kids uh, see what, it. what are you talking about, Justin? You know, let the kids see it so they know what a budget looks like and they know what what comes in and then they know what type of expense goes out. Cause a lot of I can't show them a budget if I ain't got one. Now let me stop, well, brother. Go got, ahead, King. I'm just you need to sit down to create one. Your budget needs to be your blueprint. Your blueprint, so you know, so you know what you are spending on a monthly basis. Because a lot of people, what ends up happening 
they get these jobs. They get they might be making you know I I don't know twenty thirty forty fifty thousand dollars a year, but they don't know what they're spending, and so. That is a mistake. You need to know what you're spending. That is the first step so that you can set up a plan for what needs to be set aside so you'll have something to invest. You can't. Well, let me throw this out real quick, but let me throw this out real quick because, again, haven't seen you at work. When you say plan, you Mm -hmm. actually kind of have what I consider a different perspective about the word budget in the sense that. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, it's hard to keep up with a budget or, or, or to a certain extent. When you say plan, you mean that as a part of the budget in the sense that, again, I've seen you at work, so if you can just kind of give this small detail, um, when you're thinking of the budget, you're setting the dollar to go out with the budget in advance, almost in advance of receiving the money. And I think that's just a different perspective than how most of us look at budget, and I say that from having learned it from you, uh, the the idea of even when I hear you describe it right now, in a sense, budget can seem like, a, in a sense, a bad word. Like a, I mean, a bad word from the standpoint of people like, well, I know what my bills are. I got, you know, this much. I don't have a lot left over. And so you have a different perspective on what budget means. So if you can kind of get into that just real quick, you know, sorry to cut you off, but I want people to understand it because you mean it in a different way. Yeah, so so budget when you when you have a budget, and I'm not I'm not just talking about your rent and your lights, but you know that's all a part of your budget. But what what comes in? What comes in on a monthly basis? And what when you when you have what comes in, then what should be going out? Because some people, they like you said, they will put every everything that they spend their money on, whether it's um, beer, whether it's a light bill, whether it's a, you know, then you you have the gas, of course, for your car. What should you be spending on gas? If you use a tank of gas a week, how much does that tank cost you? It costs you thirty. Say say it costs you thirty dollars. So you shouldn't spend any more than a hundred and twenty dollars a month on your gas. But a lot of people they don't look at it like that. They say, "Oh well, I got I had to put two hundred dollars worth of gas in my car. I had to do this. I had to do that." It's because you don't have a plan for your money. When you have a plan for your money, you know how much uh, should be going out and how much should be um, maintained. You know, as far as some people look at it as saving, some people look at it as investing. But how much should you be holding on to at the end of the month? It's not how much right. you and let me, and I'm just, Right. And let me throw this out real quick again just for a piece of clarity. So even the beer, for example, again, you're a person who says, well, I'm not going to tell you to cut out all all of your vices. Again, I've seen you at work. And, but what you will say is, say, let's let's make it coffee, for example. A lot of people are coffee drinkers. You will just say, mm-hmm. hey, if I'm making this, you know, if I'm making two $2,000 this month or $5,000, whatever the case may be, and – you know, you are a coffee drinker. Maybe you're a Starbucks, well, Starbucks example. And again, I've seen you talk about this. Well, you'll say, all right, budget for how much coffee you want to drink. If you hit that number, then you can't drink coffee for the end of the month. Whereas most people will do it again and say, oh, I went over my budget. And what you're saying is designate even your vices from you know since you know how much you make 
and or like the gas example that you was just using, like you said, oh, I spent, I went over, I went two hundred dollars a month. You're saying, hey, if I've hit my gas budget, maybe I need to stay at home today. Like that's what you mean with the mm-hmm. plan. And again, I just want that clarity um, in there because that's one of the biggest things that people used to learn when we would take your class, getting an understanding of how the budget designates what I will do going forward to ensure you have room for your investments. And again, I'll jump out, but I just like that clarity because people typically think, oh, I busted my budget, and you're saying don't bust your budget uh, for the most part because your budget should guide how much you buy of that particular thing, whether it's a need or a want. Go ahead, King. Exactly. So so when you when you use an example like that, even even from a food standpoint, some people, you know, they like going out to eat on the weekends. And so you should have that in your budget, what you're going to spend at restaurants. So say you have a budget and say, you know, it's four weeks in a month and I, I'm going to spend, every time I go to a restaurant, I'm going to spend $25. I'm going to go eight times a month to a restaurant. So I shouldn't spend any more than $200. So what happens when somebody invites you um, to a restaurant, you've already spent your two hundred dollars. It's the end of the month. You gotta wait five more days before you get your paycheck, and you know your meal at this restaurant is gonna be another twenty dollars. Well, you can't you can't spend twenty dollars because you don't have it in your budget. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, you just have to tell them you can't go to the restaurant. I'm not have, telling you to cut out the other eight times that you went during the month, but you can't really spend what you don't have. And if you're trying to build something up, if you're trying to build something up, so you say in six months I've got uh, four or $5,000, oh, I can take this, I can invest this money and make it work for me then you don't need to be going over your budget every month. $20 here, $30 there, $50 here. Even if you have it, it's not in your plan. And so you right. don't want to go That's over the key. you don't want to go over that plan because you are trying to ch- change your lifestyle is what I'll say. Nah, beautiful. Like you said, most people are making that decision, you know, they get that invite based on do they have it in their pocket. You're saying, no, make the decision based on do you have it in your budget that you already created three weeks before. So that was something key. I want you to kind of still dig back into your history, but I always like to get that clarified because we used to teach it. We were still, I used to misunderstand it. And so I like a clarity I didn't want to go overlooked because that's kind of key because if people think of budget the typical way, they didn't under they wouldn't understand what you mean by plans. So I want that clarity in there. But if you will dig dig it back to your history, you're twelve years old, you know, you you your brother started the business, you know, and that kind of stuff and you got a head start. So if you will get jump back into that, Kim. So we so we first started the business and you know, we were making we were making that money for, per yard. And so our I'll never forget it. Um after we had added up all the yards in the neighborhood that we had cut we had made, I think it was $440. That wow, first, at 12 years old. You were rich, bro. 12 years old, you know? <laughs> you, you, you know, you're rich when you got that kind of money. You're 12 years old. 
And what did we do? We went out and we we hey we went and bought some sneakers. We bought we bought all kinds of stuff because we had the money. And see, we didn't know anything. We didn't know we needed to have our our budgets laid out. How much gas we got? You got expenses when you have a business. You got to have gas for the lawnmower. You got to even pay for your time. So why didn't why didn't you pay for your time? If it's a business, you pay for your time. You don't just take all the money and didn't spend all the money because you got all the money. So we that's how that's how we were introduced to the budget. We had to learn what needed to go out as far as payroll, as far as gas, what other type of expenses that we have for for that business. And so once we learned that, it was like, oh, well, we can't spend the whole $440. We should only be, you know, we may have been making $5 a yard, and that $5 a yard, we, we were able to pay ourselves uh, maybe $100 of the 440 And right. then, you know, you had gas for, for your lawnmower. So once you put gas in it after you cut 20 yards, you know, then, okay, well, that's an expense that needs to come out, but the rest of the money was supposed to be maintained in our little business account, you know? So we so we had to learn that the hard way. My my dad, he didn't he didn't say he didn't, he let us spend it the first time just so we could learn the lesson from it. Right. You know, but once we once we learned that lesson, we actually had a little business that was making money. And then when the summer was over, the business had money in the account, and now you can actually do a distribution to yourself. You own the you own the company. You got oh, you might have twelve hundred dollars sitting in the account in profit. Now you can do a distribution, and then if we if we kind of take it a step further to the tax standpoint, you doing a distribution. Now that that's considered. Um, it's considered income from a tax standpoint, but it's not taxed at the same rate that you would be taxed on money from your job. So that payroll money we were getting, if we were going to be taxed on it, it's not going to be taxed at the same rate because it's a dividend. A dividend is taxed at only 15%. So you start you start getting involved and, and exposed to different things the more you do in the world of business. And so All right, this is beautiful. Like for for a parent that's out there that you know that may be listening and for people that are just now tuning in, again I have this amazing brother Justin Hempstead looking to bring on Michael Sutler here in the, uh, after the next segment. Um for anybody that's again that's just tuning in, uh, I want them to understand that again you were exposed to this at a young age, but maybe for a parent who who still doesn't know how to expose them to what you're saying. Um you know again I know you mentioned that one book. In a sense, what's the in a sense the head start for a parent who says, "Well, I haven't even learned that." You know, what, what would you even suggest for you know for them, um, if if you will, King? A lot of people don't like reading, but you know, <laughs> you know, and if you want to, you want to hide something from a man, you put it. In, well, from a black man, you put it in a book. <laughs> well, that that's that's the thing. They they've got all kinds of ways to 
to get the information out. You don't necessarily have to sit down and turn page by page. You can get an audio book. The, um, Robert Kiyosaki, he actually even does a blog um, where where he's he does it weekly for people who want who want that education, the same type of education that I got. But he he does it a little bit more advanced. Um, but if you're trying to learn it, there there are many people out here who you can be exposed to, who will take your thinking to the next level. But the the key is you just got to put it in action. You can't just read it and say, oh, you know, I, I read this great book and uh, this guy was talking about this and you don't ever do anything with it. That The key is you need to do something with it so you can kind of change your lifestyle. If, you, if your lifestyle right now is not where you want it to be, um, you know, start implementing some of those principles that you're reading. I recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, because it breaks the finance down to a level that a child can understand. That's why my dad get, um, loved the book so much and introduced me to it when I was only 12. Um, my brother, he was eight, you know, so because it allow, it, it's written in a way that a, a kid can understand the concepts that it's talking about. Uh, absolutely, Doc. That's good. That's great information again to give people to start. We're going to go to another quick break, and when we come back, Justin, if you will, um, you know, you getting that head start at twelve. From what I understand, man, from led to you buying a property at eighteen, and that kind of changed your life, and probably, from what I understand, played a huge role in why you're looking to possibly retire early because you, you know, not only as a certified accountant, but you understand the world of. Um, real estate, you know, to the extent that is actually leading to your, again, I like to highlight the fact that, you know, your early retirement. But if you will, we'll be right back, and we'll come back and get into that. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478 478- 781-4860. LNG Technology is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. Welcome back to this morning's Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's conversation with smart people, special guest Justin Hempstead, smart people about money as we're breaking down again this CPA, this entrepreneur, again, wear, wear a lot of hats, King, and um, just kind of breaking down your background, and hopefully it can lead to maybe parents out there listening or, you know, learning things for themselves as well as, um, in a sense, how to give their children a head start. If you're on the phone line and want to ask – excuse me, y'all. If you want to ask a question of Justin, please hit one and let us know that you want to get in and maybe, you know, make give us your three cents or ask a question. If you're online, the number to get in is 646 646- 
1691. Again, we have a certified public accountant on, uh, you know, maybe you have some questions about what he's asking about or maybe even uh, something, you know, even personal to you when it comes to this. We want to give people a head start. Please call in and give us your, and you know, ask your questions. But, Justin, if we will, I mentioned that, you know, your learn, your early head start led to you for what I remember earning, owning a piece of property, and and I think you've learned a lot since that time, and, again, it's played a role in, in what you're planning to do. So if you will, King, uh, let's kind of jump ahead there um, and, and just give people um, some of what you've learned in that arena and how it might help, in, you know, help someone out there listening. Okay. Yeah, so from, from doing the business, starting the business at 12, each summer, my brother and I, we we would have a business going, and we would be able to actually pay ourselves. You know, we were making a little side money. You know, so it was it was like it was like we were we were doing our thing. You know, and to be able to have a company that you know had twelve hundred. Excuse me um, from the phone ring. Oh, no problem. Go ahead. We good, King. We we used to it on on, on this show. We good. Go ahead. And so, actually, uh huh. So having having that having that um, exposure and that money, you know, it actually made a big difference. So I was looking at even at the age of thirteen and fourteen. I was wanting to actually buy some property, but you know it was like, God, I don't have enough money. How am I gonna How am I gonna get some money? I gotta I gotta have twenty five, thirty, forty thousand dollars to buy a property. I don't I don't have that kind of money. But then that's when I started learning about using other people's money to be able to do what I wanted to do. So I kept the business going, and so from instead of using those profits that we were making to go out and buy the latest Jordans or Air Force Ones at the time, Air Force Ones, they were very popular. You know, instead of doing that, I started stashing that money away because I wanted to get some real estate that was kicking out money on a monthly basis because my business it only lasted for the summer. So I wanted money coming through all all year long, you know? So by the time I got gotten to age 18, I had about $6,000 saved up. And one of my dad's friends, he, he knew what I was trying to do. And he had a, a property that he was trying to sell. And so he told my dad about it. My dad said, "Well, you know, son, you, you, if you want, if you want this, I'll help you get it." So my dad, he, you know, he had set everything up. I was 18, so I could go to the bank. As at the time, Wachovia was still around. Went to Wachovia. They saw I had, you know, the little six thousand dollars saved up. So it kind of gave them, you know, the feeling. Oh well, he's got a reserve. And they financed the entire property, so I didn't have to use any of my six thousand, but I had the six thousand set aside in the bank for emergencies. If anything were to happen, 
I would be able to, you know, go dip into the bank account and fix it for the property or what have you. And so that was, I was 18 and I was, I was, I just started at Morehouse College. And so I had a property and it was only, I was only getting maybe about $750 a month for rent. And my, my mortgage on the thing, it was taking up a lot of that. My mortgage was like 680 So I was only making like $70, but it was coming in every month. Then when I was 21, I I had the property throughout college, you know. So I'm a, I'm an 18-year-old with a house in another state. I'm able to use that on my tax return, you know, writing the interest off and what have you. And so when I was 21, a pipe burst in the house, and I thought I was I thought I was going to lose it because I didn't know what to do. Well, it created an insurance claim, and that insurance claim, you know, paid me out a distri- um, a distribution. And I'd seen some things over by the campus where they had student housing, but the houses were a lot bigger. They were like, you know, some of them were like five, six, seven, eight, eight bedrooms. My house wow. was just a little, little three bedroom. But it was an older home, so the bedrooms are very large, you know, very large. So I came up with a plan, and... I created a boarding home. I had these rooms divided where they could be regular-sized bedrooms, and instead of having a three-bedroom, I turned it into a six-bedroom. And once I turned it into that bedroom, I was able to rent out each room um, to, to students. Because I was right down the street from um, North Carolina A&T, as well as um, Bennett College in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so I was able to rent the rooms for $400 a month. So instead of $750, I'd now turn this place into to an investment that was pushing out $2,400 a month. And that's, that's – and I was 21 years old, but that's sort of how – the whole investment thing came. I still had the same mortgage. The mortgage didn't didn't change, so mortgage was still six eighty. But now instead of seven fifty, I was getting twenty four hundred, and I had to pay. Well, I had to pay lights. You know, I had more expenses, but right, right, right. It was it was pumping out enough money that now okay, this investment that I got that was only giving me about $80 a month, I'm now getting like a little more than $1,000 a month. A nah, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> right, I mean, right, unfortunately. <laughs> nah, absolutely. And and here's here's the thing. So here's something I've heard. I want to kind of hear, have you touch bases on it. And I heard this somewhere else, some, somewhere else and I think it applies aptly to what we're, what your the story that you are getting. You figured this out by the age of 21 while still in college. Uh, but there's this, I heard this idea, and I haven't bought a home. You know, I'll, you know, I'll say that openly on on air because again, I think this is some information people might could use. But there's a concept that I'm hearing where people are even recommending that people's first home buy, for example, not be a single family home because 
And the reason I've heard that, from, you know, from these people that are saying that and I've seen them use the technique is because of the opportunity to do, you know, maybe not specifically where you're breaking a room up, like you said, well, a three-bedroom into an eight, but just the concept of their advantages to moving into a multiplex, for example, and it sets you up for a better um, home ownership future from what I understand. So what are your thoughts, you know, in reference to that idea? You know, again, as a certified public accountant who, who understands real estate very well. Go ahead, Ken. Very, very true, very true. And, and you know, now that I'm that I'm older, I, I do understand that. You know, it's, you know, if you're looking at if you haven't bought a home and you're looking at it, yeah, why not buy you a duplex? A duplex is just a, a two unit, you know. Or why not buy you a, if you can find a triplex? Why not do that? Or a, a quadplex, you know. And what you can do, you can stay in one unit and rent the other three out. And when you do that, if and I said if you're in a quadplex, if you're in a duplex, you stay on one side, rent the other side out. And the rent will cover the mortgage of the place because they're so affordable. You know, a lot of times you can I, – I can – I find – I get emails all the time from realtors where they're selling um, duplexes for – Forty-five, fifty, sixty thousand dollars—that's the same price as a house. Sometimes it's a lot less than a home, and you can purchase that, live on one side of it, and the mortgage might be four fifty, five hundred dollars, and you're you're renting the other side, especially in an area like Atlanta, you might be renting the other side for eight hundred. So the eight hundred dollars rent is paying the mortgage, and that's that's benefiting you. You're able to own something for free almost because someone else is paying the mortgage. That's the mm-hmm. example I was talking about. Being other people's money, you're they're paying the mortgage for you. You're getting the benefit of the home on your tax return. You're getting the benefit of the equity on your balance sheet. And they're paying the mortgage for you, and it's actually putting additional income in your pocket because they're paying eight hundred, and your mortgage is four fifty or five hundred. You you get to take the other three hundred dollars. That's your profit. Now set that aside, invest that somewhere. You know, but no, absolutely. We got a caller that wants to get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, a lot of people just aren't exposed to that type of thinking. Absolutely, yeah, and, and we have a caller that wants to get in. And just to throw this out, uh, Roberta Hosky has been a guest on the show before. She was the kind of the first to expose me to. She started out that way, and she also includes. She said even when you're qualifying for the home, the bank will actually include the anticipated um, rent in your income. So she was just talking about even her as a. She was actually on welfare at the time. She openly tells the story, and she ended up qualifying for quadruplex simply because they included the anticipated rent into her income. So that's just another aspect, um, you know, from mm-hmm. that, from that, from those who follow that technique. Let's go to the caller. Area code 619, last three, eight, seven, six. Give us your name, where you're, where you're calling from, and give us your three cents on this morning's discussion. Or if you have a question for Justin, please go ahead. Hey, how's it going, brother? This is Mark from Atlanta. Hey, what's up, Mark? How you doing, King? What you got for us? I'm all right. I got a uh, few questions for the gentleman. Um, one of them comes from this perspective. So I, I'm uh, seeking to purchase a home, <clears throat> and uh, I'm at a place where it's like uh, I've gotten educated, 
did what I thought I was supposed to be doing, got student loans or whatnot. And um, as I go through the home buying process, how do you advise people that live in larger cities like Atlanta? Like I hear you talking about the 300, I mean the 400,000, 500,000 mark in terms of investing in uh, properties and, and even like trop, duplexes and tripod, triplexes. <clears throat> My question is for average people, I mean, I, I do have like a master's degree. I have a, a decent paying job, but you have some loans that work against you in terms of uh, if you have student loans, they take either 1% or whatever you're supposed to be paying a month, Uh, and just different dynamics like that. I haven't gotten, and I'm not getting like, I'm not making six figures yet, but I haven't gotten to a place where I've even been offered the three, three, I mean, not 300,000 that would put you in or around Atlanta to find a place where you could possibly make back those type of returns. Um, so I guess my question is, even for the average listener, how is it that they could be afforded that amount? Because I think what it sounds to me is, based off of how you said you started, where you just went in and you said, I got this amount in savings, that don't seem like it worked like that anymore based off the new banking regulations and things like that. And you, you're the businessman. I'm just giving my, my perspective from one, one side of it. It sounds like mm-hmm. you're kind of far-fetched. Um, or it sounds more now, distant than it seems. Sorry. Now, what what I'm hearing, you're saying you're throwing out the number of four hundred or five hundred thousand. Is that what you're? Is that the type of home you're trying to buy, or is that well? So, so from what I'm trying to do personally is buy a home somewhat similar to what you're saying in terms of renting out space to for somebody else to pay the mortgage. Buy a uh-huh. buy a place with a basement. Uh, rent out the basement, have that pay off the mortgage. That way I don't tap into my income. But even as I'm looking in Atlanta, in Atlanta, I'm probably most of the properties that I've seen that are in my availability in terms of what I could get pre, pre-qualified and pre-approved for. And it's not that number. Let me jump in real quick. Mark. What we missed is we didn't, I don't know where you got, we didn't, we didn't quite understand where you were, where that number came from. So you keep saying that number. I'm just, I think we both lost on, um, what, well, like where is that number coming from and how it applies to your situation? What he said was um, when you asked about buying a, a duplex or, or a, a triplex, he threw out the number where he said he would get emails for properties that are 400, 500,000. 40 or 50,000, 40 or 50,000, a lot cheaper than, these big houses that you see on Paces Ferry or, where, or wherever, you know, you can find a duplex for $50,000. And is that something that, when you say that, is that like in and around the Atlanta area? Oh, yeah. Well, most definitely. And then I guess the second question to that is, is that in the area where you would want to be, bring up your family, and go forward from there? Well, you know they actually vary. Some some of the areas are not that good. Other other areas are actually going through the um, what they call the regentrification process, where they're mm-hmm. they're changing the areas over. And then some of the areas in historical districts, you know, so it's an older maybe be an older neighborhood. But yeah, you you can definitely it. Some areas 
people wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to live in other areas you would. I okay. will say you won't find one in Buckhead like that. Well, no. So, so I like <laughs> I, I work um, like I've I've been looking in the uh, inside the perimeter area, and so uh-huh. one of the one of the challenges is either and because I do have a child and you know. I have to think about like, all right, am I going to be able to bring my lady around? Am I going to be able to bring my child around without the crime level? I've been looking in the gentrifying area so I can hopefully buy low, get into the community and have a greater return in the future as well. Um, Uh And then a part of that too is, are those houses that's going for that amount going to be something that a bank will approve you to live in without having $20,000? I mean, I, 20% 20% or whatnot. Well, if you're if if you're a first-time home buyer, that's the thing. A lot of times the banks are a little bit more lenient on what the down payment is. It might only be a 10% down payment. So, mm-hmm. if you if you're buying a home that is say let's just say the home is 60 or 70,000, you might need to have 6 or 7,000 dollars in the bank for the bank to see, you know, in order to be able to get that type of house. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in that midpoint where I'm, you know, how you feel like you, your papers, your gross amount says you make this much. You don't feel right. that much after taxes and all of that. And so I think I'm a, I believe that I'm above the threshold for a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, first time homeowner programs. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's where I am. But that's more of a, personal thing. I first I think what I was hinging on initially was I thought that you said four hundred and five hundred thousand for these duplexes as opposed okay, to got you. forty or 50. No, I got you. I so got that, you. Now yeah, so that really mistake. led to your I, question. Yeah, you were like, that seems unrealistic. It's not something I can get to because yeah, we were a little confused and now I understand that really prompted you to Yeah, y'all kinda y'all kinda of walked over it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, yeah, you want to say if that's what was said yeah, you got to break this down for me. So that kind of led to you calling in. So I definitely understand it. And again, he had to only said forty or fifty thousand. But I know you said you had maybe another question. Again, I want to open up the phone lines to anybody that needs it because again, again, I know Justin very well, so he could definitely help you through anything else. So again, I understand that prompted you. But is, was there anything else, or was it all along that yeah. lines because of that? You know, small misunderstanding. Well, Go ahead, King. I think for this, this is similar but not the same. Um, so. For some of those houses that I'm looking at, I might see a, a house in an area where um, it, it, the house might be in a gentrifying area. It costs 120000 but may need it's – a, it's a turnkey property, so you can just live in it. But to get that value out of it, you also might need to put in, in, uh, put in some uh, – put money into it. How is it – how can a person secure – either a loan or get into a situation where they're able to purchase one of those properties and at the same time um, do some of the renovations that might need to get that value out of it long-term. Oh, well, when you, when you look at it like that, if you're purchasing the home and say you have, you know, the $5,000 as a down payment to be approved for the loan, but the house needs some, you know, some modification as far as how it looks, rehab work. They have what you call a construction loan. And see, I've been I've been educated in all of this over the years. It's like I continue to educate myself any opportunity I get as far as, 
when it comes to how to go about doing certain things in real estate. They have a what they call a construction loan where they'll look at the equity and they'll say, well, the house will be worth this if you put this amount of work into it, and they'll give you that second loan to go ahead and do the work that you need to do to it to get it worth what um, valued at the area at the rate it needs to be valued at. Okay. No, thank you very much for that. that. Uh, Absolutely, King. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Just real quick, I want to be respectful of your time. How much more time we have? I want to get Michael Sutler on as well. So I don't know if I'm going to be fortunate to get both of you on together, which is fine. Okay, cool, cool. Let me, yeah, we're kind of moving to the top of the hour. And, again, I want to open up the phone lines to anyone that may have even specific questions such as Mark. So if you're out there listening and have a question, um, please just press 1. If you're online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Get Brother Michael Sutler on so I can get a little time with you all together. What's going on, Michael? Thank you so much for being with us, King. Again, this is a returning guest, Michael Sutler. Principal at SC Capital Management. How you doing, King? If you will tell people Man. a little bit of your background, um, and we'll just keep this conversation going as is. Thank you for being with us. Oh man, it's always great to be on the show. Um, real quick on my background, of course, you know, um, we met because of you know the Academy alum, United States Air Force Academy. But I spent many years as an engineer. But while being an engineer, I got really interested into investing, but more specifically into um, the art known as trading, which is actually different from investing. Investing is a bit vague of a word. Uh, but going from there, I actually actualized my passion for trading. Uh, got really lucky during the financial uh, crash of 2008 and started to mobilize and move into a business um, that is a commodity trading advisor. Well, we basically trade in commodities, which is basic raw materials and also currencies. Uh, you guys may know it as Forex. Uh, a lot of people have heard of cryptocurrency. We don't necessarily do that, but it all falls under the same category. Uh, but I moved into that into 2010, and since 2010, I've been operating this business. I've been full-time in this, into it since 2015, uh, where I left my engineering job uh, to do this full-time pursuit of passion, and um, that's pretty much what I've been doing since. Um, I like to teach. And you're doing it very well. Trading. I know it's not an easy business. <laughs> I'm sorry, King. Uh, I don't, you know, honestly, I think you could be running a cupcake business and it is not a cupcake job. So, yeah, the business has a lot of cu- complex ups and downs. But, you know, the one thing I will say that uh, what I keep hearing from Justin as well is that you can't, and it's one of the things I want to talk about in terms of talking about legacy, you really can't uh, downplay the importance of experience. And also early exposure uh, jumpstarts that experience off. And so that's kind of my angle, you know, if you talk about wanting to build a legacy and, you know, people want to do all these things, financial in the black community, we talk about a lot of things. But I think, my, you know, my, my top tenet is that I would say this, there is wisdom in actually doing. So whether you're doing something good or something bad, when you're actually doing something, you get feedback, and that feedback is absolutely necessary to get your success. Um, I couldn't trade. I couldn't invest. I couldn't build a business. I couldn't move from a job. I couldn't do any of those things if I never took action. And uh, you know me, man. I'm I'm an avid book reader. I absorb as Mm -hmm. much knowledge as – and it's varied. Absolutely. You know, I try to get as much knowledge as, you know, as my friend bases, networks are, are varied, but the actual wisdom is not in the reading. 
It's not in the absorption. It's actually in the actualizing. It's in the integration, and it's in the doing. When you do something, you know it in truth. And you know it in a way that you can't really explain to other people until they start on that same path, and they're like, oh, well, I see what you're saying. And there's a saying that says experience is the best teacher, and I think that's why. Uh, I love it. Thank you for that opening. And while I have both of you, um, let's, let's at least mention it and kind of have you all do a little back and forth in reference. Again, thank you uh, for coming on. And, Justin, we definitely we've got into your, in a sense, your particular history, your background, and we obviously answered some specifics, but knowing I only have you for another 10 minutes. So, we're, we're, again, where I want you to mesh is in this idea because, as you can hear, Justin, um, myself and Michael, as we go forward in the next hour, we're going to get into, in a sense, some of the big picture for our overall community. I know you have some thoughts about that as well. And so, uh, you know, in a sense, while, again, while I have both of you, the concept of, you know, individuals leaving a legacy, you can walk people through that firsthand. And as Michael just said, if somebody wants to follow, in a sense, your steps and do it, uh, for the most part, they'll be better off. And, again, they can have you, as, in a sense, as a mentor. But, again, you know, everybody that may want to do that, you can't mentor everyone. So from a legacy standpoint, as a culture, as a race, if you will, again, we are always focused on, you know, our consciousness in, in our community. So uh, what are some of your thoughts in hearing what Michael had to say and in in, in the idea of um, bringing the culture up? I know you focus on the youth, and that may be where you go, um, but in, in a sense bringing the culture up so that more of us are, in a sense, leaving a legacy. And one particular thing that we have to get you to say, and uh, I know this is um, – before you go, is you have a concept of legal, leaving a legacy damn near tax-free. I can't let you cut the show without at least mentioning <laughs> some aspect of that. Um, where if I promoted it and we didn't get to it. So I know that's a lot, brother, in the last 10 minutes, but you got the floor to, to address address all of that. But, again, um, go ahead, King. Yeah, well, definitely, and it's important to leave a legacy because you, you, you don't want your time on earth just to be – you know, I guess wasted. You you want to leave something that you're known by. You know, for me, I'm I'm going to be known by the people that I helped. You know, through my nonprofit. You know, and you know, for other people they may want to be known for their. You know, they might be great cooks and they want to be known for their food and that food generated some type of income for them. You know, but whatever it is, you want to establish a legacy for um for yourself. So in establishing that legacy, it really kind of comes back to the business principles. You know, when you have that legacy and you're going to be known for it and it's going to generate something that can help bring your family up where your your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they don't necessarily have to struggle the same way you did. You know, it's important to have those business principles in place. Now, for me, because I, I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to the world of tax, um, as Montoya stated, yeah, I plan on um, having my having my wealth established where taxes will not be paid as far as as far as um, you know my 
my seed is, is concerned. You know, they're not going to have to worry about, oh, they got an inheritance and now they, half of it's going to go to the government and all that. No, because we, we're setting we're setting things up where that's not that's not going to be an issue. Um, and when I say that, there are certain investments that are being made currently by me where my family will not have to worry about um, the tax implications of those investments, you know, whether it be um, the a type of trust that I put it in. Uh, there is a trust called a charitable uh, remainder trust that I, some of my money will be invested in, and there are no tax benefit, no tax consequences um, due to that. There's certain types of insurance that uh, my money is being invested in where the distribution will not be taxed. It's tax-free there. And so when you start looking at things like that, when you look at the overall picture, the bigger picture of what it is you're trying to do, um, you start looking at the different different areas out here um, that are that you know tax beneficial for you. A lot of people get mad at wealthy people because they say, "Oh, they don't pay any taxes. I'm paying all the taxes." No, they just have great accountants and they know a little bit more about the tax law than than you do. So once you start learning about the tax law, you can set your stuff up the same way. When you buy your property, yeah. you buy your property the same mm-hmm. way. No, absolutely. You pay for what you don't know, and that's the beauty of, again, having been exposed to you. You're teaching people how to do it, no matter at their level, whereas most people are thinking, oh, because they're wealthy, it really is the knowledge that they're actually putting in action. At least that's how I've understood it, because you yeah, definitely, exactly. I was able to start my business, you know, with some of the techniques you, you, you taught in that class. So I definitely appreciate you. Uh, brother, I want to make sure, um, are you needing to go? Because I do need to play, uh, 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 go to a quick uh, commercial as well, but I don't know if you have any time after that, so I want to keep respectful if you need to go. Um, yeah, I, I am I am gonna be I am gonna be leaving but um people to visit my website, uh Flight Academy, F L Y T E dot com. Flightacademy dot com. Um you I do po- post information out there, you know, some of some of my presentations are out there, you know, once and Montoya you, you can speak to this a little bit more as as you go on um throughout the season but once you know we get the enough people who are interested in the classes we can get the classes going again and you know this because i i want i i hunger to teach people how they can live a financially independent lifestyle you know no, I definitely appreciate that. And if you again, just to kind of throw this out again, please visit that website. Not just because I'm telling you, but it has been a situation where you know, even here in Atlanta, um, if you know, if we're offering to start some type of sports to get kids show up, um, but he's definitely been you know, in a sense, ups and downs with um, you know, parents wanting to make sure they're 
children get that information, sometimes that lack of desire has been there as well. So, um, again, if, if if what you heard from this man makes sense and you're in the Atlanta area, you definitely need to be visiting because the information I've seen him teach has been life-changing, you know, even since for me and changed my direction on how I want to go financially because I hadn't heard these things until I met Justin. So uh, some of the things that you taught me, again, I have other friends that have been teaching me as well. But thank you for your time, King. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll be on with Michael Souther as we take this high level and get into, in a sense, what our community, in a sense, should be doing and getting into uh, his thought process as well. We'll be right back and listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. No, yeah, I get it. Okay, baby, well, I got to get off the phone, all right? I'll, um, I'll call you a little bit later, all right? Dialogue talk show. I'd like to highlight one of the latest cuts from one of our new sponsors, Square Business Entertainment. That is Taylor Pace. I really want you. Highly recommend that you follow Square Biz Entertainment on YouTube. They drop new hits every 30 days and appreciate them for the sponsorship of the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. This morning's conversation with smart people about money. We now have on Michael Sutler. SC Principal at SC Capital Management. Again, thank you, King, for being on with us this morning. I'm going to give you the floor. And again, you kind of got into um, some of what you want to bring to the table in this conversation about money. As I always say when I talk to you, it's definitely always going to be a high-level conversation, so we're going to definitely take it to a higher level. We actually got a caller, uh, Brother Pianchi, out there waiting to get on the line. But I'm going to kind of open with you, and then we'll get to um, Brother Pianchi on the line as well. But if you will, King, um, jump right back in where you you were going, uh, in a sense, before the break while we had you with Justin as well. Go ahead. Oh, well, I appreciate it again. Um, the main point, I think, that I would like to, you know, give to everybody is the fact that there is, if you want, if we want to talk about, you know, how to establish a legacy or how to change the narrative for our community, I think actionable, you know, responses 
you know, actually doing is the right answer. Is the and I mean, you can approach it from a lot of different ways because I've in the past I've had this conversation about a number of you know items. We've talked about it with you know HBCUs. We've talked about it, you know, from the culture at large. And I like, you know, when you departed with Justin, you talked about bringing up, you know, bringing the culture up. If we were really to look at it from a standpoint of how do we bring the culture up, you know, it's a few little adages that I I see. You know, one of them is, like I say, the wisdom in doing. But there are a couple other ones that I I see them all over Facebook, Instagram, all, all over social media. I mean, it's some of the dope posts and stuff, you know, you have the inspirational things. There's one that kind of sticks out of my head, and I was thinking, you know, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You know, it's actually, you know, that's a, that's a really good feel-good quote. But to me, I'm always an and type person instead of or. And you'll hear me say that a lot. It's like, why don't you do both? And I think in terms of our community and bringing the culture up, we need to go fast alone, but we also need to go far together. And I take that back to the doing part. I take that back to when you guys were talking in the first hour about the lack of trust and, you know, where do we get information from. One of the very first things I think if somebody tells me, hey, I want to learn about investing or I want to learn to trade, one of the first things I always tell them to do because it's what happened to me and it wasn't my great idea is what, like I say, it's something that actually happened to me was the fact that I had people who were next to me in my networks, in my close circles, who had distinct, you know, talents and skills and experiences that were different from mine, but because of who they were to me, because they were close to me, are close to me still, I was able to leverage their experiences and use that trust that we had to actually go do something. And that something wasn't always, you know, because one friend was in real estate, I go do real estate. No, it was more about what did this person do to get to the point to what make them say, hey, I want to do something to change my life. And in that, I think that's the fast part. At an individual level, when you make up your mind and say, hey, I want to make this change or I want, just those two words, if you can say I want, whatever comes next needs to be meaningful enough for you to say, hey, it must be actionable right now. Now, you know, in in the scope of a day, a week, a month, a year, we probably say I want or I desire a lot of things. But that brings me to another point is that on the individual level, I don't think enough people realize that we're actually, myself, you, everybody listening, we're addicted to our own thoughts. Our own thoughts push us in vectors and ways that we go, whether we're thinking, whether we're actively thinking about it or actually not. But it's how you, you know, what you're thinking about, how you think about it. Negative, positive, light, in between, neutral, does not matter. Those thoughts that you're thinking are guiding you what, you know, Subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So the first actionable part about it is to, one, control your thoughts. I want, and whatever you say next has to be meaningful. Now, make sure, let me jump in and add some context yeah. and, let me, and maybe make sure I understand what you're saying as well because I think I do. And I've never heard anyone, in a sense, break down that African problem, you know, African problem 
proverb yeah. in the manner that you're breaking it in, breaking it down. But I know you and I have had these discussions, and I think this is how it applies. And I want to give again more context from from how I'm understanding you. And it's it's this idea that even in the community, when we're trying to figure out, as you say, uplift the community, there's always, in a sense, a divisiveness on what's the best way to, way to go. And, of course, you know, again, people hearing that proverb, they definitely focus on what comes out of that proverb is people pushing for, in a sense, ways that we can, you know, do things together and how that would be much better than, as, as I call it, some, some, some aspects of American individualism. And what I think I hear you saying, and, and we, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but what I think you, I hear you're saying, in a sense, that both can be applauded and what I think I've seen and been fortunate enough to, again, have this relationship with you and other, other kings like you, you've heard me use this term, revolutionary capitalist. And so what I've seen with people like yourself, in your individual pursuits, you have now learned information had you not taken such an individual focus that now you have information that can basically benefit the entire community. So I think what you're saying with the and is, in a sense, t- versus just taking that proverb and kind of focusing on one aspect of it, what you're saying is, you know, there's a way that we can look at it and take full advantage and encourage, you know, people to go far w- with a commitment to the entire community. There's a, in a sense, that becomes the obligation to bring it to the group because the reality for our community is there are skill sets that more of us, in my opinion, need to learn and must take advantage of um, in order to help our community. Just getting together without the knowledge base can end up hurting her, hurting us. That's what I think I hear you saying, <laughs> Michael, breaks this down from his perspective. That's absolutely it. I mean, you said it much more succinctly than I did because, I mean, you are aware of that of the needs on both ends. It's one of those things where it's the world kind of teaches us, even from standardized testing in school to, you know, choose one or the other in a binary function. When, if you look at anything that, you know, businesses, for example, or even if, you know, like I I love sports, in sports you don't just play offense or defense. You do both. And, if you look at the teams, what no matter where you were looking at, soccer, football, baseball, basketball, whatever the sport is, there are individuals who are skilled and specialized at certain positions on either side of that coin. It's never, oh, well, we just got one. We got a, we got a guy here throwing a ball or got got you know, guy here just mm-hmm. defending. You can't just do one and expect to succeed, and especially not in the capitalistic structure that we have, America. And then you look at the black community within that, you know, basically say ecosystem, you can't survive off of one skill. And we're not meant to, whether you're black, white, purple, whatever, we're not. I mean, there's seven and a half billion humans. We're not meant to survive on one or two people doing the exact same thing. No, good stuff. Let me go to this break. When we come back, Brother Fianca, we'll come out of the break uh, with your three cents on this morning's discussion. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. 
You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go, and everywhere I be, be, I don't even talk, talk, they still know with me, cause I look like money, smell like money, talk like money, even walk like money. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith a.k.a. Black Soccer Team. This morning's conversation with smart people about money. I'm on Michael Sutler, principal at SC Capital Management. Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis is wanting to get in. If you're on the phone line and want to get in on this morning's discussion, please press 1. If you're online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Brother Pianchi, how you doing this morning, King? Give us your three cents on this morning's discussion. Well, I liked what Justin was speaking on. Is his last name start with a P? Hempstead, Hempstead, Hempstead. Yeah, Hempstead. Yeah. No, Hempstead. Yeah. yeah, well, he's another smart justice. And this gentleman here is very on point, too. You know, uh, I was listening to him. He's absolutely right. There's, it takes many parameters in order for something to be very successful. And uh, any one person may have uh, skills in more than one. But overall, it takes uh, no one person is going to know everything. And uh, how you talking about the, the uh, African-American community, which I care for dearly and also have disgust for certain elements of it. But my uh, method is to try to bring the children up and uh, direct them into high-paying professional fields. We have too many of our uh, wage earners in African-American society that's in very low mediums and uh, that doesn't spell good whatsoever and it's, it, 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 the child has to be conditioned to be able to maintain and participate in those areas of skills and education that would allow them to be able to seek out uh, and I say targeted, a high-paying profession. Now, there's other ways, but, uh, you know, things should be taken on however a person feels most comfortable doing it. And one other thing, there's this, this stain that's being propagated by political heads of toward rich people. It ain't nothing easy unless you unless you have a scratch-off lottery ticket now. But to maintain that, there's nothing easy about becoming rich. I mean, but I don't know what your circumstance is. And, you know, I got a bag of beans. But people that reach that level in other ways than just taking chances with, like I said, bingo or lotto ticket, it's hard to get there. And it's hard to maintain it. There's nothing easy about that. And when you have, let's say, if and once you get there, you can coast 
it will basically maintain itself. If you got $10 million in a bank, and not talking about all the things that have to be done in order to make sure that every dollar that is covered by FDIC, and that's something that your accountants work out. But that would bring you about $18,000 a month income, even at the lowest interest rates. And as low as the interest rates are today, they can't do nothing but go up. And if a person can't live off of that, I don't know what to tell you. But uh, there's ways to do things in this country, but you have to prepare yourself where you are in demand or you can understand what it is that you're looking at in order to take advantage of it. And I don't, and what's, your, what's your input on this, sir? Um, absolutely. Yeah, let's go ahead. and I'm, I'm, um, We're going to dig into it, Brother Pianchi. You know you can get back in. I definitely want to go, you know, where you're going. And Michael and I have had conversations specifically about it. Um, but, yeah, go ahead, uh, Michael, if you will. Go ahead and respond to what you heard, Brother Pianchi. I want to highlight something else that he said uh, in addition. But, Brother Pianchi, we'll bring you back on um, if you decide to get back in, okay? All right. All right, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, what did you, what, what, how do you address what uh, Brother Pianchi brings to the table this morning? You know, uh, I guess from a, it, it fits well within the framework of with a, which I'm, you know, speaking today, and I look at it almost as in, you know, I, I really hate the cliche to each its own because I don't really like that. It's more of a cop out, but I think in this in this sense, yeah, he is exactly correct in the sense that you do have to start, and Justin said this too, start with the youth first. Why? Because time, even more so than money, is one of the most important things I think is the most important thing that you actually have because you don't actually know how much you have. But it seems that, you know, if we were betting people, uh, children would have, you know, on average much more time than we do. And that's much more time to train or much more time to, you know, get proverbially worse. So if you're going to train and prepare them, like he said, for high paying jobs, uh, that is definitely one path. I would take a caveat there because I would say that, you know, Jobs are one path. They're, you know, for me, and again, I have to speak again from experience, he's right. If you train them to where they have appreciable skills, I think that's that would be my, my main thing. The job to me is sort of like an outcome once you do get the appreciable skill sets that apply. Um, but we could go into this long-winded, you know, conversation about education and skills because I think in America, especially at this juncture in time, that dynamic is shifting rapidly, and it's going to shift in a way that I think, unfortunately, again, the African-American community is going to be one of a few that will not be exactly prepared for the paradigm shift away from necessarily when you talk about what's a job, what's a skill set, because what it was, even in my generation, and you go a couple generation steps back, it's not necessarily going to be there anymore. It's more to the point of, I always say, can a, can a child do math? Can they do applied math? Can they write code? Uh, do they speak certain languages? Which, again, code and math are also very much languages. If you want to get into skill sets, I think it's more to the point than it is when, even when we were coming through where it is, you know, a degree became the penultimate, hey, this is my I made it. Because if you think about degrees in the context of what we're talking about, more and more African Americans are actually getting degrees now than probably ever on a racial basis. I haven't checked that yet, but I would just imagine that 
we would pretty much be on par that there's, you know, more of us getting degrees. But in terms of financial readiness, in terms of leaving a culture, there is not core, there's no correlation necessarily between a degree and the expansion of wealth. In fact, you might see the opposite relationship. So I think taking it back, relatable skill sets, you know, I agree with him in terms of bringing the culture up. You have to have that. But it fits within the overall framework of how we think, how we frame this thought process of, like I said, when you go back to doing. What is it that I want to do? Hey, I want to leave a legacy. Well, what does that entail? So I'll stop right there. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, no, 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 great breakdown. And here, whenever I listen to you, it's making me go some other places. I'm pretty sure Brother Pierre wants to get back in, which is fine. Um, but there's a couple things I'm hearing, and again, I'm also privileged to some of my own personal situations. Um, and I heard this in what Brother Pianchi said. I, I think it's very, very important to this conversation. A conversation about money, again, trying to take it to a higher level. But, um, and I know you've felt this personally, but he, he mentioned the idea of this disdain, uh, you know, for for wealthy people. Uh, I think there are aspects of it that are necessary for us to talk about, um, you know, obviously from your perspective, in a sense, pursuing this, this area of finance where there are not many of us. We've talked about it on the show as well. Um, but I think you have been exposed to some of what Brother Piaki is talking about. I think it's only imperative that we discuss it on the conversation about money as it relates to our community. And, it, you know, is, is that something that is a factor for some people in our community or maybe more, you know, many people, this disdain. And, and what I've heard you say, and I'll just say this and let you go, is what I've heard you say is um, when you've seen that, it actually makes people pursue, in a sense, our the wrong things in the in this capitalistic society that would actually give us an advantage. You've seen people take the wrong road due to some level of, you know, as Brother Pierre said, I think he calls it this thing. You may call it something else, but I've definitely heard you speak to it and how it sent some of us in the wrong path as far as uplifting our community because they're learning the wrong things. At least that's how I've heard you say it in the past. But go ahead, King. Oh, you know, I almost smiled when you started down this path because I went, in essence, this brings me back to another, and, and you're right, I'm now thinking about what I talk about whenever I do come on the show is a lot of times is I focus a lot on universals, and one of the universals is, at this point, it's back to the importance of good decision-making, which, again, goes back to how do you get good decision-making. It goes back into wisdom of doing and gaining experience. But to the point of, you know, you're talking about making the wrong decisions, the wrong path to get to your objective, this goes out about changing our thoughts because here's a, here's one nugget that I've learned, again, mostly through experience, but I've had older people mostly, uh, some younger than that that's been hip to the game. You know, they they closer to the street than I am, have ever been. But <laughs> in America, in America, <laughs> one of the things I cannot emphasize is that <laughs> they're, the game is designed for you to make bad decisions. And I don't know if that's necessarily a philosophical point. I don't know if life is like that, but you are designed to make the wrong turn. Why? Because if somebody else knows that there's an advantage that you can get passed over by, I'm taking that. That gives me leverage over you. That gives me power over you. There is a game Mm -hmm. being played that we talk about a lot of things, especially in politics. We talk about freedom and fair and equality, and those, those things are wonderful. But when you get to the actual what are we doing 
and why are we doing and what's happening, you quickly get into a much more uh, solemn, you know, talk. Like I said, this this turn this talk, you know, I don't have very long, but it could, we could really turn it really dire. But the reality is that the game is set up such that it costs to make bad decisions and not learn from them. That second part is important, make bad decisions and not learn from them, because if you keep making bad decisions and not know them, if you don't know that accumulating too much student debt is going to be something that hampers you from actually becoming financially free, you'll keep doing that activity thinking, oh, this is innocuous, it's no big deal, this is what I'm supposed to do. If you keep going on not taking tax deals and getting taxed at the highest levels, which means that your income and your cash flow are all less than what they should be while somebody else savvy is taking advantage of that and getting that compounded year over year, decade over decade, generation over generation, you're getting cultural. If you really think of what – because you really can't – to me, you can't really put a pin on what black culture is. We kind of sort of can. You You can say, oh, my black is this or your black is that. But the actual culture is an amalgam of a lot of cultural, of a lot of habitual things, some traditional. I guess tradition would be somewhere in the, the mid-step between habits, individual habits, then, you know, going from a habits to traditions as a group. That step over time is what makes culture, and that's a lot of the undoing that we have to do, that a lot of mistrust that we talk about. There has been a lot of, you know, bad decisions made and not really checked. And it's not just our community. It's just that when you're in a certain space, right. it hits you harder. Well, I think I think we're talking about money, but I think the perfect example y'all already talked about it. Um, just the idea of, um, in a sense, what a degree means, and as an American culture, but anything that hurts America ends up hurting us threefold. That's still been a reality for our yeah. community. But even the concept of, as you said, getting these degrees, and and you're right, you are right. Historically, we're getting, in a sense, as a culture, more degrees than we've gotten in the past. But the, but what you're talking about specifically right now is maybe for the past 20 to 25 years, that focus of getting degrees possibly has been, and as Brother Fiyaki would narrow it down to, just getting any degree versus where he would say, hey, there's certain degrees where there's still advantages. So let me put that in there real quick. But this concept of getting degrees to the extent that the bad decision is, we're seeing it play out now. We're un, un, as a whole culture, we're under these student loans. So for people who didn't know, they went that route, and now right. are being bogged down b- by not understanding, in a sense, or knowing the consequences of just going out to degree because we were so focused on it. We would take on any amount of, you know, student loan or loans to end up with a degree. Now seeing that it is now hurting us as adults, so I think that's the perfect example in a sense, of what you're talking about and, and, and moving forward, being aware of what decisions that we might be making now that will end up harming us in the future is something that we must um, become aware of. Let me go to another break, and I'll let you respond to that when we come out of break. Listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. For all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business, known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. 
LNG Technology is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's conversation with smart people about money featuring Michael Sutler, SC Cap- principal at SC Capital Management. Um, King, I want to further break down what I heard you say, and I'll let you jump in. I also heard you mentioning this aspect, um, the idea of, in a sense, focusing on equality and things of the – and we hear this a lot politically, right? These certain things that we're searching for fairness – and you're of the belief, one, from having done it, doing it, as you say, the actual items, is that the reality often comes down to uh, the advantages that are for you by knowing versus not knowing. And so um, I think I hear you saying that sometimes as a culture we can get maybe, again, what we're hearing from politics, these cultural um, ideas that in effect are not going to serve us financially in a system that's already set up to um, to be played a certain way, and so sometimes right. we can chase ideas that have, that in my opinion, or I think I heard you say this, that don't allow us to play the rules that are right there available for you that you've taken the time to learn. I think you want more people to learn, but they're in a sense so focused on these ideas that ends up hurting our culture. Um, from 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 what I hear, am I hearing you correctly, King? Absolutely, um, and and it is that it's, it's the focus on again, it's, it's education and knowledge, and even knowledge has its limits. But that brings us back to the whole, you know, when I when I say the wisdom and doing part is, I'm not here to tell you guys that I make the right decisions. I make wrong decisions on a daily basis, but it's a difference between, you know, hey. Do I know this? I may not by myself, but it goes back to the whole when I was saying, you know, go when you want to go fast, go alone. I go alone on a lot of things, but at the same time, when I go together, when I link up with my networks, with my people, and say, hey, these aren't, you know, the necessarily the right decisions. You have that. It helps that feedback, and we, I don't really see that a lot, or at least enough, in our community because, yeah, what's played out in front of us is a show. It's it's an illusion. When you see the reality, reality kind of hits us, but it, we go, oh, man, well, that's, that's a shame or that's not right. But, it, you know, it is. It's just like when you look at the, you know, to bring up current media, you're talking about the, uh, the school scandals, about, you know, the pay-to-play to get your child into the mm-hmm. elite schools or semi-elite at least schools. Um, I mean, what we would expect to come out of that would be something akin to justice, but the game has been being played like that for the longest. So you have to understand that there are rules that are being played by that, you know, either you understand them or are seeking to understand them or whatever outcome you're seeking may not happen because it's just not set up that way. And that's, that goes from, again, that's from a cultural thing, but it really goes down to the individual. When I realized, I was like, hey, I wanted to know more about investing. I listened to a lot of people at first, but I realized very quickly that they didn't really know much more than I did, so I, my circles kind of changed. I sought after those who were had experience because everybody can tell you what's in a book, but until they actually have some skin in the game, and it's one of the things when we bring on new people that say, hey, when they have an intern or a trader that says, hey, I want to trade, they can listen to me all day, but until 
You know, they put that money out there to risk and see what happens. They don't really gain the necessary perspective. But, you, and again, you can take that back up to a more universal. That's what happens to us on a much larger basis, on an everyday basis. But we have to start making a cultural shift towards seeking out those experiences, which get us much more close aligned to what's actually going on, what's actually reality, if that makes any sense. Okay, so yeah, is a, let's, 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 let's get to some nuts and bolts again. This is a conversation about money, and so you're in an arena that, um, again, I applaud you, uh, you know, as, for doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, what have you seen uh, from from the standpoint specifically to our culture when you are exposed to someone who, you know, in a sense, has the means to get into the type of investments, you know, that you're looking into? And again, we always hear the concept of diversifying your portfolio and again as people come into more means quite often they may seek someone like yourself out or uh, what have you seen uh, specifically to our community again I, I say that not as if other communities don't have in a sense I'm not saying we're we the only ones with issues um, but I am concerned about there are a lot of fears that in my opinion quite often keeps us from making financial smart financial decisions and I'm guilty of it as well soon as we should you know, it's almost like we lose time getting comfortable, and the time we lost, usually lose, we lose a lot of money in that sense. Have you seen seen that when trying to expose our culture to some of what you're doing, if, if, if you will? Man, look, so I can take you just from, again, personal experience as, you know, going from, again, I come from a, you know, little small town in Mississippi, a little town called Yazoo City. It's about 9,000 people. Uh, it's one of the poorest counties you know, in one of the poorest states in the nation. And having that upbringing, I love my upbringing. You know, I love that history of mine to come from, to go, like you said, go to, go to school where we did and then come out and come into the first industry of engineering to get, like you said, a high-paying salary job. My mindset was still where I grew up. And to take it back to the sports analogy, it was to play defense which there's nothing wrong with defense. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me what the difference is between, even if you were to put into binary terms of us versus them, or for those that come from a lower middle class upbringing like me to somebody who has had wealth or has accumulated wealth, the biggest thing is wealthy people play offense. They play a lot mm -hmm. of offense. They also have a great defense. The, the defense is in the capital and the cash flows and the incomes that they've, they've accumulated over time. And the specific focus they spent over years doing that. Uh, it's only in this age that you see so many people get rich quick. I mean, there's only I mean, there's only a few Zuckerbergs and you know those type of they're they're complete outliers mm. and they don't really exist much in our community for a lot of different reasons. But even before this age, if you back up 50 years, they didn't exist. So this is an era right. where wealth can be accumulated much more rapidly. But the rules of the game also change too much. But They'll change a lot, but to bring it back, I, my personally, even as I was learning to invest, even as I was learning to risk money in markets and, you know, take a chance, if you say that, I did it so poorly early on that there wasn't much noticeable differences until I got, like, really lucky. And what I'm saying is I did not take enough risk given the resources that I had early on. That's a key point because it's psychologically what's always with me is that, hey, I might lose this. 
that's what seems to be part of our community because we know what happens if you gain this resource and it can quickly go away. That becomes a hamper, but when you come from another type of culture that says, or if you've grown out of that to say, hey, I got it, I made it, and I can get some more, your attitude changes. Those income streams hit a little different than the person that sits there and says, oh, man, I got to, you know, hang on to this. I mean, it even goes back to, like, you know, a lot of people like the biblical parables. It's the parable of the talents, you know, talents being money. It's the one that hit it. Uh, you can always go back to that, the one that's afraid to put it out there. There's reasons. There's valid valid reasons why you're afraid to put it out there, but that doesn't stop the outcome from being less favorable for you in a lot of different cases. When you don't learn how to get the skills, like the brother said earlier, get the you know the networks like I've been you know advocating get to get together with the people who know and then going out there and doing you know both on an individual level and together if you can't do that early enough you're going to be behind period take all the time you want but only take as much as you need I like that that's slick so let's let's go here and I think this would be a great way to kind of fortify the in the sense as we go coming to the in a sense the end of this show uh, where I want to go, again, you obviously have an intensive background in the area of finance. Uh, where, if you, t- if you tell me if I'm wrong, but if I'm like, last remember, there's only 1% of us specifically in the financial field, um, on, you know, when it comes to the investment level, or if I'm saying that correctly, am I right? Just even just to give a, a, kind of paint that picture real quick, um, there's only like 1% to 2%, I think there's only 1% of us that are in the field on the level that you're at. It's barely 1%. Um, I live in Huntsville, wow. Alabama. You know, the metro is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's what I call suburbia, but the metro is about 400,000 people. I am the only person, African-American, of color that's doing what I'm doing in this entire town. Wow. That's just Huntsville. Yeah. So, um, right, you're right. Like you said, we so went, less than we, 1%. Yeah, so we went to New York uh, last year to go to another, to basically pitch to larger funds so we could, you know, potentially get money and new clients and that sort of thing. Again, out of about three or four hundred, you know, fund managers, the only people of color that were there were the ones I brought with me. Wow. So yes, less than one percent, but a lot of times that comes from again exposure. Just like Justin was talking about his early exposure to business, which even I didn't have. I had an early exposure to you need education boy to get out of here. Uh, but early <laughs> right. exposure to that type of, you know, you know that the world is big enough. It will help our children say, "Hey, well, instead of you know, <laughs> right now is one of my um, is one of my favorite albums, the Two Chains uh, uh, rap or go to the lead." But instead of those being just the options, or even a step further, mm-hmm. just being doctor, lawyer, engineer, which is kind of my area, the next level of jobs and innovative skill sets that will be needed. Again, the longstanding stuff like hedge funds. No, people didn't even know what hedge funds were. I mean, still don't where I'm from, but they have been around mm-hmm. since 1930, technically 1933. Right. So, I mean, you're coming up on, you know, 90 years of that, but there are other new things where our kids will be completely equipped to tackle, challenge, and excel in, but it's that early on exposure that we have to have, and it comes from, again, a lot of times changing the narrative of your thoughts to I want. When Remember I told you right back at the beginning, what do you want? If you want that legacy, well, how do you get it? It comes back meats and potatoes, controls. When you say, I want my child to have this, you 
must go out and aggressively seek that despite having a job, despite having other obligations. You have to make it a priority. And I think kind of an overarching thing to take it all the way back is our community, and I hate to use a blanket statement, but in general, I don't see us as making money such a priority or being wealthy. Like I say, it becomes – I think it's such an unknown that it becomes a bad thing. It's so it's so yeah. far-fetched mm-hmm. that it must be something bad because it's not us. We have yeah, to change the narrative. That's very deep. Yeah, it's very, very, very deep. Let me do one quick break when we come back. I want to dig into, and I've never asked you this, Michael, but I want to dig into, uh, in a sense, how you expect to leave a legacy and what you want your child to understand and continue to want, if that makes sense. And I just want, again, I want to, you know, have people exposed to someone who understands finances to your degree, um, you know, what are some of the nuts and bolts that you hope to pass on to your child? Listening to the Mental Law okay. Talk Show, well, all I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. If you have a product or service that you want to get out to the smartest community, smartest community in all the radio, please contact me at 404-604-9477. Uh, thankful to our latest sponsors, Order to Keep Intelligent Radio on the air. We definitely need your support. For individuals out there, please visit mentaldialogue.com to find out more of what we are about. Uh, we need your support as well as we have individual uh, support opportunities, whether it's a mental dialogue supporter. If you're here in Atlanta, become a mental dialogue member and get access to our live events uh, here in the Atlanta area where we were just doing this conversation on a, on a in a sense, on a um, face-to-face level with different experts, and I wanted to continue that conversation this morning for the audience outside of Atlanta. So we brought in Justin Hempstead in the first hour. Now I'm on with Brother Michael Sutler. So um, you, you basically left and became full-time in this area of commodities trading, I think you said in 2015. Obviously, you know, you've been able to stay in business, so you you survived the, the sink-or-swim period, um, you know, being in business full-time. So you, in a sense, survived that. And now I know it becomes, again, as you said, we just talked about the idea of, uh, in a sense, the pursuit of money. So now, um, in addition to having a successful business, you now have to think, okay, how do I set my family up? And you have, I would say, you know, good knowledge on how to do so. So if you will, what are some of the nuts and bolts that, you know, now that you're in this position that you say, you know what, um, you know, maybe this wasn't done for me or wasn't done for previous generations, you know, coming out of Mississippi, that type of thing. How do you ensure, because you do have children, um, what type of things are you wanting to set up for your seeds, um, you know, with the knowledge base that you have? Well, you know, I, I have three lovely daughters uh, and, a very patient wife, but the one thing that we've agreed on is, again, legacy, leaving something for them. Uh, number one that took me a long time to really get on board with, with more her doing than mine, was the will. And I know it sounds odd, but it was having a will is just a battle plan of what to do when worse comes to worse. You know, if I'm not here, what to do? And the funny thing about writing a will is it's actually really simple, but once you have that 
just like it's almost like experience. Once you have a certain level of experience, what you build on from that, what you can add on to the wheel becomes, you know, a subset of your imagination, uh, you, what you want to desire to do, and also, again, your, the experiences and, and resources that you see and accumulate over time. So a wheel is one of the very first things. You know, my parents also were very fortunate enough, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, but the whole life insurance, and I have a very funny uh, we, we'll have to do this for another day, um, take on life insurance because I hear too much and I hear way too much in our community that life insurance is end-all, be-all, and this is not to disparage any life insurance, you know, salesmen, saleswomen, do your thing, but it's way too heavy of an insurance policy in our community, whereas when you flip to the other side of very wealthy families, I see less and less of it. But that being said, my parents basically have – a life insurance policy that I will inherit once they pass away. Um, I have one of my own. And for my children, they have theirs. Um, my wife and I, we have life insurance. But it's not, again, I won't get into too much of the different terms and things of that nature, but um, mm-hmm. we have stuff that works. Now, we, I think I know yeah. what you mean, but I want to make sure it's very yeah, clear. Life, you say they have life, theirs. Life insurance. Yeah, explain that. Yeah. For each one of the girls, they have a life insurance policy that's set up that if something happens to them, there's a payout. And the same for, again, as my parents did for me, for them, uh, it passes down, passes down. As one generation passes on, the other one gets it. What's insu- what is important about life insurance, at least from my perspective, is the fact that once that payout has happened, it is not taxed. So that is a really good aspect of it. But the other side of it is, like I said, as you're paying for these policies, remember there's a business on the other side, just like mine, that gets paid from those premiums that you pay in, from the, everybody that pays in. So we had to get some that – Work for us. They gave us payouts that, that we could work with, but did not cut off our cash flow. That is right. super important. Do not okay. crimp your pass your your cash flow. There are tons of insurance products out there that will fit you. It's not necessarily the one that will be sold to you. Just like investments, in life insurance is not an investment. That is my other point. Now moving on to investment, um, uh, several brokerage accounts. Um, the IRAs and things that I have accumulated over time, again, once I pass on, my children and wife are beneficiaries of those, and she has some, too, that cross. I won't get into all the, the nuts and bolts of it, but basically what I've gone over is you've heard a will, you've heard life insurance policies of different sorts. Now you're hearing investment accounts of different sorts. The standard brokerage accounts, I have some of those, but also I have um, – an IRA, an individual retirement account that used to be a 401k, but when I converted it over from my business, I went from a, a 401k where the company was contributing. And hopefully as I grow, I will, I will change that back, but it ended up being from that to um, an IRA that I manage myself because I manage investments, and that also will pass on to my children. There's also a few uh, houses and real estate that is in the, in the, in the process as well, and also um, land assets. And – if the business survives, they will also part parts of the business will pass on to my children as well. Uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to kind of you know let people hear someone in your position you know kind of how you're setting you know setting up your family. Now let's move it to this. But here's here's, here's, here's so, a, I got I got oh yeah go ahead I got to put this important part in here. Yeah, yeah. This is this one that's so yeah, important. No, please, so, go ahead. You know that's you know nuts and bolts, and people say, oh well, I got to get these accounts. Here's the important part of what I pass on to my children. Not necessarily in just those assets is the fact that 
one, on the way to school every day with my oldest daughter, we're talking about stock markets. We're talking about the economy. She doesn't get it all, she, but she understands that what I do is related, and now I'm starting to have longer conversations because this started when she was five. But she's having longer wow. conversations, and she'll, she'll run by something here on TV or see it on the Internet and like, hey, does this apply? And we'll have a conversation about, you know, what is Brexit, the, the, the U.K.'s, you know, hopeful <laughs> exit from the European Union. I'm having conversations about that with a seven, almost eight-year-old now because if you circle back, within my network of my closest friends, I have friends who also do these things with their children who are also talking to their children about real estate. And just two weeks ago, one of my closest friends brought his kids down to meet mine, and they all got to powwow. We all got to talk. I think one of the closest, most important parts that pulls all this together is having people who are doing similar things to you, varied but similar things, all congregating, meeting together, and sharing an experience. That's worth more than yeah. by, by having that exposure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I no, think that's, that's a very important. Like, once you start getting it, you have mm-hmm. to get somebody else that's, that's with you, and I and that's not my own. I had to learn that from having friends that literally forced that on me. Right now, that makes sense. So um, let's move this to, like you said, three beautiful daughters, and again, obviously, yep. like you said, you're having these conversations at a very early age. Which I talked about this last night at the event. How being at the academy. Um, you know, growing up where I grew up, I oh, kind of, you know, decent at, I was decent at dice. I learned how to play poker, so I remember being at the academy right. in a sense, uh, you know, playing, <laughs> you know, playing poker with some of the guys, you know, some of the, you know, some, you know just some of the right. white guys or whatever. But while I'm taking their money, because I understood that, they're literally at the table talking about investing while we were in college. And I'm like, how do y'all know this right. stuff? Because, you know what I mean, I'm saying this, you know, as a freshman and sophomore in college, you know, again, taking their money at the table, but they're already taking some of, even some of that little money we were getting at the academy and I had already started investing, you know what I mean? And so right. the beauty of what you're talking about is hopefully that will be your child, the knowledge base that you provided her from a young age. She could, you know, talk ahead of what most children will talk about. But, again, right. having three young children, you know, children will have to go their own way. Um and everybody doesn't have the knowledge base. So somebody listening may say, well, you know, uh, do I got to go learn everything Michael knows to be able to give it to my child or you know, that kind of thing. So, but your children becoming eight, what type, what type of things would you love to see them do that would let you know she, my, my, she gets it? You know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously she can come to you for as a resource on how to, but, you know, when she kind of gets that age and, you know, you, you've kind of wondered, don't, you know, don't just consume your money, invest your money. So what would make daddy proud at, you know, coming, you know, if she decides to go to college or, you know, you may have a child that goes into business and not college, whatever the case may be, what makes daddy proud to say, all right, she gets it and she's setting herself up to ensure my grandchildren have a legacy? Because if they don't listen to anything you said, they'll blow your legacy. So does that right. make sense? So, yeah, what, oh, what would make you proud? You know, that's a great question because when, you know, when she was first born, I was like, oh, she's going to do X, Y, and Z. And now, again, seven years later, I'm going, I can throw that out. You know, she's, she's going to be a wild card, just her personality. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. DNA in, 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 the, in the house she's, we've allowed her to raise in, is she's, she's going to do her, she's going to be her own thing. But I think, you know, directly to the question, the one thing I would see her doing 
at 18 or beyond is actually very simple. Taking the type of risk, calculated risk, setting up a plan and being actionable, I don't really care what it is as long as it does no harm to anybody. I don't care what it is, but if she's setting up taking calculated risks at that age because I wasn't, I was following a pretty guided path out, but I wasn't really seeing the flourish of my own mind until much later. But if she's doing that early on, I know I can leave here and she's going to be all right because that's a Yeah, I definitely respect that. Now, I respect that. Can yeah, we throw, and maybe I can't throw a nut and bolt type thing in there or whatever. Um, you know, it might be maybe something is, you know, going ahead and getting the, in a sense, the home ownership and, and, you know, going ahead and getting the life insurance in place. And then it's the above and beyond those things. So those are the simple things that, to a certain extent, a lot of people get in place. But without any other knowledge, you still end up sometimes not leaving much, you know, in a sense. That's what's kind of been a cycle in our community. Some people yeah. never attain even those two basics. Some people, that's all they get, and it's kind of where I think that's when you were mentioning kind of too heavy on life insurance. And some people, that's all they get, again, better than nothing, right. but it still shows they don't have a true understanding of how to ensure the next generation has a step up and not starting over. Right. So it get, you see what I'm saying? So I'm just kind of get a, maybe a, even a nut and bolt thing, and it doesn't have to apply to your children specifically, but just trying to give people the idea of what that looks like from somebody with your type of experience. No, you know, I, I think it's best if I do think in terms of my, my kids because those are the ones I typically okay. do recently, what they might do, what they might not do. And, again, it's like, one of the things as a parent is where it's like, where do you guide and where do you take your foot off the gas? Where do you guide and where do you take your foot off the gas? So, again, I think it's a nuts and bolts thing, especially for my probably my firstborn, um, to see her, um, you know, I, I, would, I would probably see as much. I would, I would not be surprised if I see her do something like uh, set up maybe like a movie or directing a play type thing, and she goes from soup to nuts of, getting the money, even using maybe other people's money as a part of her. She raised some money, put on it, put on a, a show. Because here's a, here's a and I know you said, hey, you just know, give me a heads up. Stuff. I didn't push this to the yeah. end of the show, just so you know. Yeah. We'll continue the conversation for those who are listening on the phone and for those that are here in the podcast. So we'll continue past the hour. But if you're online, you will be cut off in the next minute, just so people know. All right, go ahead, Kim. We're going to, like I say, finish this thought regardless of the yeah. online people being cut off. But, yeah, I, I could see her setting up maybe a film school or something like that, something that's along the lines of her imagination, but she goes the steps of knowing how to go get the capital, get the team to execute it, you know, or whatever she needs to do, and taking these authoritative steps and not waiting on anybody to say, hey, I need this, just go in out and do it. Because to be perfectly honest, the life insurance, the accounts, all this other stuff, just as she's come up and learning math and, you know, whatever we learn in school, she's going to have that out. That's, that's already done. That's outside of her. I'm trying to raise her in the consciousness of, okay, this part is done. I've been talking about this forever, but the insurance policies, you know, the brokerage accounts, those, those type of things, she'll be, I mean, 18 to, to, right. to have a, that. I mean, so, so my, yeah. my question is, and then again, we'll kind of close this out. So my question is, you, I would assume you would want her to repeat it because, one, it was given to her. So she would repeat those basics for the next generation. And then, again, now the next step is kind of what you're talking about now, I think. But am, am I correct? Yeah. And, again, she has those things. So now that you 
you know, in a sense, Daddy provided those things. I want to see you turn around and set up your children with these basics. And, you know, in a sense, wherever you go with next level above what Daddy has taught you, uh, you know, how will you set that up for your next generation to start with a step up? And, I, and I'm, I'm really focusing on this from the standpoint, and our good friend Mark, which, you know, Mark Rage, which you know very well, has right. always talked about in our community we're constantly starting over. So I'm just really, you feel right. me, trying to walk it all the way through for this last part of this, you know, last part of the show. Go ahead, King. Well, here's, here's the thing. So the, I don't ever take it the step of saying setting up for her kids because that's her decision, if you get what I'm okay. saying. She may not fair, Yeah, fair enough, absolutely. Kids, but, yeah, but here's the, here's the magic of it. Things like time value of money, things like what's the current interest rate will be as known to her as her name. So dope. She knows that she has to, and her sisters too will know that they have. They're working against a system where, hey, your money has to be growing. That will be. That's known now. Actually, we talk mm-hmm. about that now. You put your dollars in your piggy bank, but in next year, that dollar is worth less. We talk about that at seven. So at eighteen, right. those things are as they're second nature. That gotcha. to me is the most important part because. It makes sense. The way that they come in, there's no, there's no guarantee that the stock market will be what it is. There's no guarantee that bonds or insurance will be what it is. But you get the underlying right. principles of there must be some type of income. There must be some type of dividend or, or return on it year after year, day after day. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It helps them become adaptable. And that's the yeah, part. That, like I said, 18, we're thinking about other stuff because we got that part down. Beautiful. Now, it makes sense. I think it relates to what Justin talked about early on is, you know, his dad giving him that knowledge base, and he went and did things to actually learn it. He made mistakes, but it was that those mistakes yeah. that made him better at what he knows now. Um, so I, I think all I'm hearing you ultimately say, and that's for any parent out there listening, um, it's imperative that you expose and get them to knowledge base on how money works, specifically in our capitalistic society, since that is clearly the game that's being played right now, um, that that alone – will serve them. And I think everybody out there listening, because, you know, you've said it, I've said, I still say it, like, wow, uh, what would I, what, you know, what could I have done with that information had I known it 10, 20 years ago? And so uh, I think ultimately what I'm hearing is, like you said, at 18, there's no reason our children shouldn't know these things like they know their name. Like, if you don't do that, you fail to uh, and, and that's how right. I leave the legacy from what I'm hearing you say. With that said, King, it thank is. you for the time. If you will, if there's any information, again, I, I know what you do. If there's anything you want to let people know about that you're doing or how to contact you, if that's, again, if, if you want to, it's not necessary, um, please get that information out now. Thank you for the time, King. Uh, I appreciate it always. Uh, again, the company is SE Capital Management, LLC. We are a commodity trading advisor. We advise uh, trading decisions for people who want to diversify diversify portfolio to basically diversify the portfolio and get a little bit more gain. But we have to keep in mind that investing in Forex and futures is a risky affair. It is not for everyone. And so our clients have to be very much green. But if you want to know more, come to sccmanagement.com or hit admin at sccmanagement.com as the email address. Um, We'll be happy to hear from you. And I love teaching about the other markets other than just your standard stocks and bonds because you find out that there's a lot more out there and um, it may be right for you. So uh, hit us up. Uh, Absolutely. And if I can just applaud you again for being, in a sense, that less than 1%, and not just because you're in the industry, but just acknowledging, um, you know, the opportunity to go in these areas. 
This is Brad Milkey of ABC's Start Here podcast. Pop quiz. How green is your workspace? Using power save mode on your computer? Unplugging electronic chargers for cell phones and laptops when they're not in use? Is there an energy star bulb in your lamp? Have you moved furniture and other objects away from air vents? If you've answered yes to all these, congratulations on your energy efficiency. If not, consider making these small adjustments for a greener workspace. This ABC Business Update was brought to you by Georgia Power. 